Maybe you won't like it. Oh, how could I not like it? Of course I'll like it. You could not like it. Just the fact that you remembered means everything. Of course I remembered. It reminded me every day for two months. <laughs> oh, the card. Get yourself whatever you want. No good? Are you my uncle? Hey, come on. It's $182 there. I don't think that's anything to sneeze at. Let me see the card. <laughs> to a wonderful girl, a great pal, and more. I'm glad you're here. Stay, stay right here. I'll, I'm gonna be right back. Stay. Pal? You think I'm your pal? I said, and more. I am not your pal. What's wrong with pal? Why is everybody so down on pal? Yeah. Oh, what is this? Yeah. You got me something? Yeah, yeah, open. Remember when we were standing there and she mentioned it? I made a mental note of it. Well, goody for you. Oh, yeah. See, I'm very sensitive about that. I mean, someone's birthday comes up, I, uh, I keep my ears open. So what'd you get her? 182 bucks. Cash? You've got to be kidding. What kind of gift is that? That's like something her uncle would give her. Good morning. I'm Emily, one of your ministers here at Hope Ankeny. And great illustration, right? Gift giving can be tricky. And over the last month or so, we've had so many opportunities to either insult or honor people we care about, like graduations, confirmation, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Oh, and now, it's, now we're getting into wedding season. But you know what? I think that is an occasion that was just made for Jerry Seinfeld because everybody knows, right? Cash is always a great wedding gift. But even if you know that, well, what's the right amount to give? I mean, I want to make sure that I at least cover the cost of my meal. 20 bucks? 50 bucks? $182 wrapped in a box with tissue and a bow? Does that do the trick? There are so many ditches we can fall into with gift giving. I normally, I love giving gifts. I love thinking, finding that just right thing for someone that reflects our relationship and the occasion. I think it can be a lot of fun. But you know what? My sister actually said to me one time, you ruthlessly remember birthdays. Ruthless? How can a gift be ruthless? I don't understand, but I do know that when someone sees a package with my name on the gift tag, the last thing that I want to go through their mind is, 
ruthless. I don't even want them to think, oh, what am I going to owe her now? There's just this thing, right, where what starts out as being this wonderful expression of relationship somehow turns into this obligation. And that's no fun, but it's actually, it's kind of something that we humans are really good at doing, taking things and turning them from relationships to transactions. And what we're going to dig into a little deeper today is how that tendency can actually be an obstacle to us being able to receive God's love for us. And when it's an obstacle to us receiving God's love, then it also becomes an obstacle to us being able to share that love with our neighbor. And that's a big problem if that happens because, I mean, here at Hope, we're on a mission. Our mission is to reach out to the world around us with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We don't want anything to get in the way of that. So we're going to look at it a little more today. Our reading today comes from the letter, Paul's letter to the Romans. And uh, if you're new around here, just to kind of get you up to speed, we are reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year this year. And I know if you look at your calendar, you're like, well, the year's half over. hate to tell you, can't do this now. But there is never a bad time to jump on board with us. I mean, finish the rest of the year with us. We are about to go from Romans to Corinthians, and you're going to find that there's so much good stuff in there. So there are QR codes and guides. They're all around the church, and they're on the church website. And we would love for you to jump in and continue reading the Bible together. But for this week, we are finishing up the letter to the Romans. We've been preaching through it all month and reading through it. And again, just to bring you up to speed in case, in case you haven't heard, uh, so this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a, was a very privileged guy in a lot of ways. He had a great education, great family. He had Roman citizenship. That was a big deal at the time. And he was a Pharisee, which is basically like a religious lawyer. He was an expert in the Old Testament law. And he was very committed to his background. So much so, in fact, that when Christianity emerged and people were sharing the good news with each other, he saw that as a threat. To, and he actually tried to wipe it out. Until he had a miraculous encounter with the risen Christ that changed everything. From then on, he tried to use all of his privilege to share the good news with as many people as he possibly could for the rest of his life. He planted all of these churches, and probably what he's most famous for now, he wrote those churches letters, letters that we still love to read. It's most of the New Testament that are Paul's letters to the churches he founded. He gave them advice. He... Uh, encouraged them. But here's the thing about Paul's letters to his churches, uh, to the churches that he founded. Reading his letters can be a little bit like, I don't know, if you were to pull somebody's letter from their grandma out of their mailbox and read it, they and their grandma probably already know some things about each other that when you read that letter, there's going to be things in it that just don't make sense. And sometimes in Paul's letters to these churches, there are, there are gaps. 
they had assumptions that they both knew what they were talking about because they had a relationship with each other, that when we read it, we're not entirely sure what those assumptions were. But that's part of what makes Romans so interesting. Because in the letter to the Romans, Paul was writing to a church that he had never met before. They didn't know each other. He was actually trying to share what he knew about Christ so clearly and specifically that they could later meet up and do ministry together. So we have no clearer record, no clearer explanation of what it means, what Jesus did for us, how we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that makes Romans amazing. It makes it special. It's why we call this series Romans Runs Deep. Because Paul didn't waste a word. He chose all of his words very, very carefully to convey this miraculous understanding. And so it's very dense. And if you read it over and over again, you're probably going to find that you discover new things every time. So let's dig in. Like I said, I like gift giving as a metaphor for Paul's exhortation in our passage today because it captures this important contrast between a spontaneous, generous act precipitated from a relationship versus a legal act that settles a transaction. And and that's important. The gospel is in this distinction. So I'm going to say it one more time. We want to recognize the difference between a spontaneous, generous act that comes out of relationship and a legal act that settles a transaction. Because it's it's just our tendency to move from relationship to expectation, to obligation. And even in our relationship with God, we can start looking at that relationship through that lens of obligation. I know that it's true because I'm going to ask you a question and I bet you have an answer that comes to mind. What do you owe God? What has somebody told you you owe God or what do you believe you owe God? Because I'm pretty sure there are some things that will come to mind. Like, I don't know, money, right? I mean, the church kind of gets a reputation for, for wanting you to give, for wanting your money. But what about time? I mean, you owe God your time too, right? At, at my first church, every fall, we would have a stewardship campaign, and we would ask for everybody's commitment of their time, talent, and treasure, And of course, we were trying to convey to make sure they understood that it wasn't all about their money. But we also were expanding the ask, right? What other things? Uh, What do I owe God? Fashion? I owe God to dress appropriately, right? Sobriety? I owe God to abstain. What about my marriage? I mean, don't I owe it to God to find my person and stick with them no matter what. And on and on it goes. You probably have other things that came to mind that you have heard or believed you owed to God. The to-do list just gets longer and longer and longer. And if I owe God these things, then please tell me, how much of them do I owe? 
And the number that we often throw around is 10%. I owe God 10%. Well, okay, do I owe God 10% of my gross or my net? Oh, wait, that's not just for money. What about for my time? Do, do I have to give my 10% out of my 24-7? Or after I've worked my 40 hours, can I give my 10% out of that free time that I have left over? And, well, this is just my personal opinion. I've had littles, and I know that you should get time and a half for bedtime prayers. No doubt about it, right? Because we all know how that goes. It turns into trips to the bathroom and glasses of water, and you have to rub their back for an hour and a half, and you end up falling asleep on their floor because they outlast you. I think you should get time and a half for sleeping on your kid's floor until midnight. I think it's only fair. And you know what the problem is with this mindset? I just made these things sound bad. None of them are bad. They're really good things. They're all things that we hope, as you follow after Jesus, you will want to do more and more. I mean, we haven't talked about it for a while, but we have collection boxes all around the worship center and the church because we know that some of you want to give. Our hospitality team They know all of these different teams that you could join and be a part of. And they'll tell you about it if you ask. Because we know that you want to serve. And our discipleship team, we rack our brains trying to come up with ways to help you grow in your knowledge of the Bible and who God is and who Jesus is. We provide that because we know that you want that You want to grow that way. And we know that you want to get plugged in because faith is best experienced in community. So we want you to have that. But as soon as any of us starts to think that we owe God those things, that we've got to do them, well, that lands us trying to negotiate with God for our salvation. And I know this. I know that Jesus did not come to make you pay up. Nope. And, and this one, mm, we get a lot of misconceptions about this, but I do not believe that Jesus came to pay it for you. Jesus came because he wanted us to know that we could have a relationship with God that was reconciled, that was whole, that was loving, that had nothing to do with paying a debt. He explains this throughout the first two-thirds of the letter to the Romans, and he, he summarizes it in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. Saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from the start to the finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We could preach a whole sermon just on those two verses. But this is the gist. The good news about Christ 
is God's power to make us right with him. Our faith, it is a free gift that is given to us by the Holy Spirit when we hear the good news of what Christ has done. This is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it is holy and completely a free gift. It's for you, each of you, right now. It's yours. God gave you Jesus. And now when he looks at you, he doesn't see some debtor. When he looks at you, he doesn't see the headshot at the top of a religious resume listing your good deeds. God looks at you through Jesus Christ. And all he sees is his beloved child. That's what we are. So when we come to today's passage, Peter, he is changing his focus. He is turning from talking about the good news of what God has done. And he's sharing about what it looks like in the lives of believers when they're trusting that good news. And that shift from what God has done to what people do, we have a hard time making that transition without shifting from relationship to transaction. As soon as we start hearing about what people might do, we start thinking that this is an obligation we owe. And it's reasonable. It's reasonable for you to think this way. You're not crazy. Romans 13.8 starts this section with, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. I'm a mind reader. I know what you're thinking right now. Emily, it's right there. It's on the screen. It says obligation. That means we owe it. And oh, look at that, requirements. Those are things we have to do. And you're right, it is right there. This is a New Living Translation. Uh, this was not written in English. This was written in Greek. So what you're reading is a translation from the Greek to the English. And the New Living Translation has, is a great translation. We use it a lot around here. Their focus uh, in translating was to be faithful to the Greek, but also to make it understandable and easy to read. So when I was digging into this passage, I had my NRSV study Bible out. And, well, this is how that verse is written in that one. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do you see what's missing there? It's a subtle difference. But those words, obligation and requirement, they don't show up in the NRSV. So then I was like, what is going on here? I'm going to have to check with the Greek. I need to find out what is the Greek word behind obligation and requirements. Because I need to study that. I need to figure out what is going on here. And here's the thing. Behind those words, obligation and requirements, there is no Greek word. That's why the literal translation finds a way to say it. It might be a little harder to read, but it leaves those words out. Because that's the thing. We don't have an obligation to love our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is something that people do when they trust God's love for them. 
It's not something that you check off on a list and then God grades it later and says whether you pass or fail. The act of love fulfills the law. It's already done. It's already fulfilled. What God has put in you is fulfilling it. What does that mean? How does that work? Well, how much does the law matter if you already want to do the things that the law is going to tell you to do? What good is the speed limit if you love driving 55? Right? Now, I was trying to think, how could I, well, how could I get your attention and make sure you really understand what I'm talking about here? And you know what came to mind for me? I mean, obviously, donuts. You all love donuts, right? Who doesn't love donuts? Everybody loves donuts. Ah, everybody but me. I don't know. I've never liked donuts. I'm probably the only kid in the history of breakfast that actually had her parents scold her. Young lady, you are not leaving this table until you eat that donut. True story. And there I was, choking it down. The texture, the stickiness. It's not for me. It's just not for me. So when someone brings donuts to the office, and my colleagues are all like tempted to eat them all, when they're trying to decide how many is the right number of donuts to eat, and I say, hmm, no thanks, I'll pass. Whew. Emily, you have such self-control. I mean, you must have nerves of steel. You were confronted by a dozen donuts and you didn't eat one? No, there's nothing remarkable about me not eating a donut. The only remarkable thing about my ability to say no to a donut is that my creator instilled in me an aversion to fried pastry and icing. Weird. And I don't know what God was thinking when God did that. All I can hope is that he was trying to balance things out because he also did not instill in me a love of running. <laughs> so that's the thing. I'm not doing anything. But what the world around me sees is self-control. And that's how it was for Paul with the law. You know, the law that he grew up with it had a lot of things to say about what he should and shouldn't eat. And those laws initially were written to protect people, to keep them safe, to keep them well. But as long as you thought that your, that you, that your, that your favor with God, that God's love for you was dependent on how well you followed those rules, could you ever really trust that God loved you? So they just kept adding rules and more rules and more rules and made it more specific and more specific. And it became this huge burden. The only people who could follow the law perfectly had to do it as their full-time job because it was too much and you could never quite trust that you were right with God. But then Paul met Jesus. It changed everything when he realized that God already loved him that he didn't need to pay God off with good deeds or charitable donations or by not eating donuts. He realized that love, 
Love is actually what God already feels for us. And when we trust that, when we trust that the everlasting God of the universe loves us and is going to keep us safe with him forever, well, then we don't have to think so much about ourselves. We don't have to worry so much about ourselves. And when we're freed up from that, all of a sudden we have this freedom, this freedom to notice and care about our neighbor. When I'm trusting that I'm safe with God, it frees me up to be kinder, to be more patient, to have more empathy for my neighbor and recognize what they need. When I am trusting God's love for me, I'm not just a person who does good things for people because I'm trying to pay off a God who wants me to. I become someone who actually cares about people who actually wants to do good things for the people around us. And that changes the law. Because now the law is not this, this taskmaster constantly demanding me to do more and more. All of a sudden, the law is just, it's just the things that I do freely. I choose to do because God's put it in me. God's love in me fulfills the law, which means that it, it no longer has the power to make me doubt God's love for me. That's amazing. Like Paul, feeling like we owe God leaves us uncertain about his love for us. And Jesus came to give us the assurance to know that God loves us, to give us trust, to give us faith. So I spent all this time explaining this because Like I said at the beginning, when we see loving our neighbor as some kind of cosmic payoff that we owe, we reduce that freedom that God has given us through his love, through Christ. We reduce it into just a cold transaction. I mean, sometimes we even try to turn it into self-checkout. And more often than not, the next step from there is just to turn grace completely upside down. I mean, if I owe it, then obviously my neighbor owes it too. And then I better start policing them and make sure that they give God what they owe. And, oh, wait a second. Now I have gone from being God's beloved child to being God's toll collector? The literal translation of verse 10 is, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. So if this phrase were math, it would look like this. Love equals fulfilling the law. Do you remember that from word problems? Wherever the word is, is, that's where the equal sign goes. Love is fulfilling the law. Well, if you remember from math, wherever there's an equal sign, you can also switch things around. You can read it backwards, right? Fulfilling the law is love. And math and reasoning would both tell you that that's perfectly okay to do. We start off great. God's revealed his love for us. Through that, freely given in Christ, we fulfill the law. It's awesome. The rules no longer stand between us and God. We get to worship. We get to give. We get to serve when we are, when we are operating that way. With love is fulfilling the law. But that can feel kind of wishy-washy to us 
So what we often do is we take those seventh grade math skills and we just flip it around and we start thinking fulfilling the law is how to love. And when we do that, we just reestablish the law over us and we start thinking that doing the things could actually make people feel love. We quit recognizing the difference between a spontaneous, generous act out of relationship and a legal act that settles a transaction. When we turn this upside down, we turn back the clock to before Jesus came. And we risk turning ourselves into Pharisees. Because Pharisees could never be confident that God loved them. They needed the law for that. And that means more and more, they loved the law more than they loved people. That's why Jesus was always in conflict with them. Jesus, he's walking through the fields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples are munching on grain, just pulling it off the stalks and eating it. Pharisees are like, there's a rule that you can't harvest grain on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, I love my disciples with a little grain in their bellies more than I love the letter of the law that prohibits it. And when there's hurting people, well, Jesus loves them. He loves them back into wholeness, even if it's on the Sabbath, because he loves that person more than he loves the letter of the law that says he can't work on the Sabbath. It all falls apart when we get it backwards. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. But when we turn that around, inevitably we harm our neighbor. Why? Because love fulfills the law. Fulfilling the law does not love. Seinfeld actually had a whole episode about this. Can you believe it? Take a look. What you want? Come on. Come on, come on. Oh, that's a shame. All right, I'm going to call NBC. Officer, he's stealing my car! Officer, I was carjacked. I was held up at gunpoint, and he took my wallet and everything. Okay, thanks anyway. Come on, let's get something to eat here in Sticksville. All right. Hold it right there. What? You're under arrest. Under arrest? What for? Article 223-7 of the Latham County Penal Code. What? No, no, we didn't do anything. That's exactly right. The law requires you to help or assist anyone in danger as long as it's reasonable to do so. I never heard of that. It's new. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. Let's go. The Good Samaritan Law? Are they crazy? Why would we want to help somebody? I know. Th that's what nuns and Red Cross workers are for. The Samaritans are an ancient tribe. Very helpful to people. I mean, it's a great illustration. The law can't put love in their hearts. They're sitting in jail, still talking to each other about, why would we help anybody? The law can't put love in your heart. Only God can do that. That's what God does. The law isn't, the law can't fulfill love, but love does fulfill the law. When we get it wrong, we hurt people. The law is a good thing. 
Society runs best when we follow good laws. It protects people. It keeps us from hurting each other. But the law is always a theory. It's always a hypothetical. God's love is always personal. It's always for someone. It's always for you. If I'm worried about keeping the Sabbath law, that I need to rest on my Sunday, and it causes me to ignore my neighbor who needs my help, the hypothetical was fine, but the love that he needs is personal. The law that says marriage should be a committed relationship that lasts a lifetime, that's a great law. We all want that. But, oh, what about when I'm talking to someone whose spouse is abusing them that needs to hear that it's okay to leave, that God will not quit loving them? The law, it's a great thing when it operates in theory and in system. But love, love goes from person to person. It's personal. Even though he's writing to a church of people that he's never met, Paul is, he expresses urgency. It's personal to him what he tells them. He shows his love for them when he says this. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That's why we need to hear it over and over again every weekend, you guys. That's why we need to come to worship because you need to hear every. You need to hear it whenever you can. God loves you. God's love is for you. And when we trust that, well then, that's what motivates our that's what motivates our giving. That's what motivates our serving. And it's my privilege. It's my privilege to tell you again, to proclaim it to you. Wake up. Your salvation is near. It's yours. It's for you. God loves you so much that Jesus came and gave himself up to forgive your sins. And he rose again to give you the promise of life forever with God. And you, you get to receive it. You just receive it. Trust it. It's yours. And you get to wake up your neighbors. You get to share that good news with them as well. It's something we get to do because of God's love for us. So church, receive this blessing in the words of Paul to the church in Rome. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. May you receive that hope right now. Trust it and share it with others. Let's praise God for giving us his confident hope. Stand and let's sing together.